Hey friend, welcome back here to the Semi Seminary. And here we are, another week, another episode of our Bible study series that we're calling the Bible for Grown-Ups. And tonight we have another perfect example. Just like we had last week when we looked at the three teenage boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they were found to be standing when everyone was supposed to be bowing at the 90-foot statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. They were thrown into the fire. If you haven't heard that episode, go back and check it out. It's a a perfect example of what we're trying to do with our Bible study series, The Bible for Grown-Ups. We're trying to look at these stories that so many of us learned as children. And we got a very childlike understanding of those stories. And then we grew up, we didn't really actually understand what the story was about. We might remember a few lines of a song we were taught at Vacation Bible School. We really don't know what the story has to teach us. So we can't apply those things to our lives. Tonight we have another perfect example. And this is another one of those that you might have heard of if you've been around the church at all or maybe a friend when you were a little kid took you to Vacation Bible School. You might remember this one. Tonight, we're going to look at the story that we find in Hebrew Scripture, and it's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. I'll see you on the other side. So tonight, what I'd like to do is actually talk about standing strong. We're going to look at a story. If any of you grew up in Sunday school, you've heard about Daniel in the lion's den. You know, there's There's Noah's Ark, and there's Daniel in the lion's den. Classic story. One of the challenges with this story, like those others, a lot of times is we tell it in almost like this childlike VBS version. You know, Daniel's this handsome young man of these lions that are, well, they almost kind of look like kittens to us, you know, kind of cuddle up to him. You know, like he's just laying there using these beautiful kittens. It's a pillow. This is right off the bat one of the misunderstandings we have with the story. First of all, Daniel, at this point in the story, he's somewhere in his 80s or so. So he's been walking with God now for eight decades. He's an older man. And the lions? The lions do not look like cute little kittens. No. They're lions. Big difference. Cute little kittens and lions. Different creature. So anyway, we've got this story of Daniel and the lion's den, a well-known story. What I want to do is I want to bring actually tonight a little context. We're going to talk about using this story to show us how we can stand strong in the middle of severe opposition. But before we can see that story, let me give you a little bit of history. So our story tonight comes us from the prophecy of Daniel in Hebrew scripture. Uh, Those in the Christian tradition often refer to that as the Old Testament. And different than last week when we saw from the story of Daniel, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were serving Nebuchadnezzar. Now in our story, Daniel is actually serving a different king. Then we were talking about Nebuchadnezzar, but now he's actually serving under King Darius, which is actually the third king that he's served under in his 80 or so years of living. 
Now, what's very interesting about King Darius is that uh, history records Darius as being an administrative genius. In fact, as soon as he started ruling the kingdom, he came in and he reorganized everything. And he set up 120, and they're known as satraps. That's the phrase, the title that they were used. But basically, satraps is kind of a cool word, which means kingdom protector. Then he put three administrators over that 120, and Daniel, in our story, is actually one of those three. Their job would be to protect against rebellion, to levy the tax, to guard the financial affairs of the nation. Basically, they were in charge of balancing and reconciling the national checkbook. And so, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, I'll read this to you. It'll basically kind of uh, tell you what I just told you. Beginning with verse 1, chapter 6, the prophecy of Daniel, Old Testament, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps, remember that word means kingdom protector, they were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Again, their job, protect the kingdom. Verse 3, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. Now, throughout Daniel's life, we will see him standing up, standing out, serving with an excellent spirit, always going the extra mile. The king, Darius, looks on and says, Daniel is head and shoulders above everybody else in my kingdom. I want to put him in charge, and he'll be second only to me. That sounds, that sounds like a pretty good day, doesn't it? Sounds like Daniel got promoted. He's still serving his God. He could still be a great witness. But in our story... The reality is, what looks like a promotion from the outside actually introduces a lot of trouble from the inside. The other two administrators, they get jealous and they kind of go all hunger games on Daniel. And they say, hey, man, we're going to take this guy out and we're going to falsely accuse him. Man, we just want to get him out of the picture so that we can we can have this role. We're jealous. Man, we're going to take Daniel down. And so in that spirit, they do. They go after him. And as we look at the story tonight, we're going to look at Daniel standing strong, supernatural strength that can only come from a long-term developed faith relationship with a living God. And so from Daniel chapter 6, what I'd like to do is to show you three truths that you can look for in the story to help you stand strong. The first of these truths is this. It's not fun, but it's true. Number one, when God raises you up, expect that people are going to tear you down. When God promotes you, when God raises you up, expect people to tear you down. I don't know how this might come true in your life, but let's say you receive a promotion. A lot of times, People think you're 
would you would be most excited for you, that would celebrate with you the most, sometimes end up the most jealous, the most critical of you. Or maybe God speaks to you about something maybe more controversial. Maybe you're going to downsize, you're going to get out of debt, you're going to be a stay-at-home parent. Yet when you could be out there hustling and bustling, making all kinds of money, but you'd rather invest time and love in your kids. Maybe you're going to home educate, right? Things that are culturally unpopular. You're doing what God's called you to do, and yet people look on and they criticize. You're raised up. People try to tear you down. In Australia and New Zealand, the United Kingdom, this is known as the poppy syndrome because uh, whenever a poppy plant grows tall, others will come along and they'll chop it off at the bottom. When someone rises up, people often take shots at those that are most successful. In the United States, they call it the crab syndrome because if you put crabs inside of a bucket, one little brave crab says, I'm not staying in this bucket, and the crab decides to escape. The rest of the crabs will actually reach up and pull that crab back down and say, basically, if I can't be free, you can't either. When God raises you up, expect people to tear you down. Now, let's actually see this play out in our story. Daniel Alliance Den. Daniel chapter 6 again, now verses 4 and 5. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel, his conduct of government affairs. In other words, if we can find something, if we can find some, some skeleton in his closet, some dirt that he swept under the rug, we could run political ads, we could jump on talk radio, then he won't get elected to office, right, in our parlance today. But, Scripture says, they, these other two administrators, they were unable to do so. This is amazing. They could find no corruption in Daniel. Why? Scripture continues, because he was trustworthy. He was neither corrupt nor negligent. Verse 5, finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. We tried to dig up some dirt on him. This God is, this guy rather has so faithfully served his God, we can't find any dirt to use on him unless it has something to do with his relationship with his God. And so they devise a plot to attack Daniel. Now, off the sidetrack here for a second, one of the problems I believe in, in what we experience, what we call westernized Christianity, so often, again, I think this is uh, what I'm trying to really point out when we look at these childlike stories that we learn in the Bible, but they don't match up with the adult worlds that we live in, I think one of the big misconceptions that these childlike stories teach us is that once we become believers, that everything is supposed to be pie and roses, 
right? Hey, if I'm serving God, I shouldn't face any opposition. I mean, I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. He shouldn't have people coming against me. I shouldn't have to face a hard time because I believe. And the reality is, friend, that's just not true. Because we battle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of of a dark spiritual world that we have little understanding about. And whenever we are moving the kingdom of the creator God forward, we should always expect resistance from sin. Oftentimes, our spiritual enemy will work through people, even sometimes well-meaning people. And we've said this before, it needs, uh, bears repeating again. Look, if you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God in a world bent towards sin, you're not ready to actually be used by God. If you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. Daniel here is standing up and standing out. He's standing strong. And sure enough, There's opposition against him. Maybe you're experiencing that right now. The other two administrators, through their jealousy, they have decided, no matter what, we have to stop him. And so, what do they do? Skipping ahead a little bit, if you go and read the story again, it's Daniel chapter 6. Basically, these two other administrators, they went and they buttered up the king. Now, I don't know how they did it, right? Maybe they said something like, gee, king, are you bulking up? That robe's looking tight-fitting. I don't know how they buttered up the king, but they they did. They, they went to him and they said, hey, king, how about this? How about you issue a law, a decree, that over the next 30 days, that nobody can pray to any god except you, king, and... If they pray to another god, then let them be thrown into the lion's den. And the king, Darius, well, Darius was like all the other kings. Very, very vulnerable to pride. In fact, many kings often tried to deify themselves. They knew they weren't a god. They loved to be treated like a god. And so... King Darius said, okay, fair enough. If anybody prays to any God but me for the next 30 days, they will be the lion's lunch. And that's going to be the rule. This created a little bit of a problem for Daniel. Because the other administrators knew that Daniel was a great man of prayer. Interesting, isn't it? Somebody made a law like that today. I wonder how many people would worry about you or me because we're known as a person of prayer. They knew this would create a problem for Daniel because he was so faithful in his prayer. Now, we need to understand that when we hear this, again, when we think of, you know, like cute little stuff, little lions... Daniel, all young and fit, looking good, the lion's den. Remember, at this point 
in the story, Daniel does not have any idea that God would rescue him. Just like before, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we we celebrate that story with our children today because we know how the story ended up. Those three teenagers stared down the king not knowing, not necessarily even expecting that they were just going to be delivered from the fire unharmed. Daniel has no idea that God's going to rescue him. He simply has to make a decision. And based that that decision on what possibly could be looked at as three options. First option Daniel would have, stop praying to his God, right? He's 80 years old. Would have been very easy if we were in Daniel's sandals to say, hey, look, man, God, I've been doing this for 80 years. We can all take off a month and agree, right? I'm still cool, right? And you could rationalize, hey, you also got to understand I'm a lot more effective here than I would be if I was dead. So I'll just, as a compromise, do it for a month. And then God, you and me, we'll get back together. You'll understand, right? Second thing you could have done, quite honestly, and probably what I would have done, I'd have faked it. I'd have just prayed silently. I mean, just being honest. I'm thinking, hey, I'm just not going to pray out loud. I'm just going to pray silently. You know, hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Just sitting here thinking, are you praying? No, 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 not praying at all. No prayers here. It's probably what I would have done. There's a third option. A third option Daniel could have chose was you could continue to do what he's always been doing, and that is to keep praying publicly, praying aloud. And as a result, risking death. And that's what he was willing to do. Why? Because his faith in God was so strong. Now, this begs a question, I think. What in the world built that kind of audacious faith? How did Daniel have such deep faith in God that he was willing to stand strong in the face of probable death? That leads us to our second thought, which I hope you can use to stand strong in the face of opposition. And that is, kneeling to pray is what gives you the strength to stand. I know that sounds trite, but it is so true. Kneeling to pray is what gives you the strength to stand. Let's see this play out in our story. Verse 10, so powerful. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, okay, what's he do? He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem and three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God. And this is the important part, friends, just as 
just as he has done before. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, just as he has done before. See, with an adult-like understanding of the story, it should teach us that our first response to trials and standing strong in the face of opposition should never be to panic, but always to pray. Our first response to emergencies in our lives should never be panic, but always pray. But you know what? Even our language gives away to just how little value we actually place in the privilege of prayer. Think about it. I've said this before, and it gets me every time. How often have you ever heard, oh, well, we've done everything we can. Oh, we've tried every way to manipulate our circumstances under our own power. Oh, we've done everything to try to control this to our ends. And when we've now done everything within our power, our language gives it away when we say things like, and so all we can do now is pray. I mean, all we have left is prayer. I mean, I've done everything I know to do now. The only thing to do is pray. Now notice, Daniel didn't announce his prayers to make some sort of public showing. He just did as he always had done. See, we Christian believers, we recognize that in the Gospels, we find Jesus hated hypocritical public prayer. Right? Remember, look at me. I'm a Pharisee. Pharisees' prayers on the street corner, loud and verbose. Therefore, you've got to see how much I actually love God. Daniel doesn't announce it, right? Just like before, whenever there were dietary restrictions, he didn't make a big deal. He just said, hey, I'm not eating this food. He just quietly, by faith, did as he always had done. He didn't open the window and go, hey, hey, I'm not listening to Darius. Right? No, he didn't do any of that stuff. It was just his usual deep and reverent prayer as he has always done before. Friends, I'm absolutely convinced that so much of the success of Daniel's life was based on pre-decisions. He pre-decided in the story with the food, he pre-decided not to defile himself with food that was set aside for idols. And he, somewhere in his life, probably decades before this life-changing moment, before this threat, decided that I am a child of God, therefore I will seek God, not just once a day. I need God three times a day. I need to start the day with God. I need some God in the middle of the day, and I need to wrap up my day with God. Why? Because God's been that good to me, and I need to know God. I need to hear God's voice. I need to be walking by His Spirit. 
I need God's ongoing strength. So I want to have an intimacy of continual communion with God. Therefore, therefore, three times a day, I've made my decision. Now, I don't know about you, but if you haven't pre-decided your plan to know and live with God, chances are you're not going to get to know and live with God. Think about it. If you don't have a predetermined plan, listen, if you have no plan, you are planning to fail. If there's no predetermined plan of how you want to grow in intimacy with God, I can guarantee you, you're not going to grow in your intimacy with God. Look, for many of us, for many of us, it's important. It's the first thing in our morning. It's our Bible or Bible app open. It's calling on God in prayer. It's saying every day, God, these are your eyes. Help me to see the way you see that I can meet the needs that you need met. God, this is my mind. Help me to think the thoughts you want me to think. Loving God, these are your hands. Lead them to do what you want them to do. These are your feet, God. Help your feet to lead me into your perfect will. Holy Spirit, speak to me. God, you have permission to interrupt me. God, would you guide me into wherever you want me to go? God, give me efficiency today, wisdom to make decisions that I know will bring glory to you, to shepherd my family closer to you, to lead my church closer to you every single day. Do not want to start a day in my life without intimacy towards my God. If you don't have a predetermined plan to grow more intimate with God, friend, chances are you're not going to do it. Notice how he prayed. I love this. Also, he knelt before God. Again, how did he have the strength to stand strong? He could stand before men because he knelt before God. Listen, if you've never knelt before God in prayer, friend, you're missing out on one of the most powerful uh, postures of humility and surrender. Posture matters so much. It's really hard to deeply, intimately worship God with your arms folded. It really is. And I'll tell you, it's really hard for me to worship God unless I've opened up to him the posture of humility and surrender. At some point, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to take a stand. You're going to have to take some kind of courageous stand. It could be against some, I don't know, big world issue. It could be you take a stand in your neighborhood. It could be something like your kid uh, doesn't play in a soccer league because you play too many games away from town and how this happens on Sunday. You miss church. And you know what? This church is not going to cut it. Church is a priority to you. Maybe you break up with your boyfriend. He's pushing you to maybe do something that you know is displeasing to God. Break your heart of purity for God. 
Could be because you don't do some business deal. Because you know lacks integrity. You're just going to trust God with this. And when we make decisions like that, in our mind what's going on is what happens if my kid doesn't play college soccer because he wasn't in that better league? Or what if I don't get a new boyfriend? Or what if I get overlooked for that promotion, end up losing my job because I wouldn't have done that deal? And I can tell you this, maybe not in the short term, but it'll always work out. One way or the other, in fact, it'll always work out just the way you want it. No, it won't work out that way. and You can't ever have that guarantee at all. Daniel could have, would have asked, well, what if the lions actually eat me and God doesn't rescue me? And you know what? Fair question. Because there are plenty of people in the Bible who have the exact same faith as Daniel had. And for whatever reason, God didn't rescue them. You see, the stories of the lives of the people in the Bible, just like our lives today, they're not, they're not a Disney movie. These aren't cartoons. Their lives, just like our lives. This is real life. With a sovereign God, a creator God, whose ways are higher than our ways, his, high, his understanding higher than our understanding. God's will often will show things and create circumstances in our lives that do not make sense to us. So I want to promise you, if you take a stand, you, it, that I can't promise you're not going to face consequences. I can't say that someone's not going to get, go against you, that people aren't going to resist you, that you're not going to be shunned, to be looked left out, to be overlooked, maybe end up hurting, maybe worse yet, feeling worse off. The only promise that I feel like I can make to you that Daniel shows us, number three, is that when you do right, you can always trust God with results. When you do what's right, can always trust God with the results. I think this is the part that's so difficult for us to stand, understand, again, because we live in the 21st century. Daniel didn't know the end of the story when he was in the middle of the story. He didn't know at the time he was going to be a Sunday school lesson with fruit punch and Oreos for centuries to come. He had no idea, none whatsoever, that it would end up the way that Daniel wanted it to end up. All that he knew at this point in the story was that for 80 years, God had been faithful to him. For 80 years, God had always been faithful to him. So no matter what, Dan the man would be faithful to his God. That's it, period, end of story, no negotiation, no ifs, no ands, no buts, no what ifs, but how comes? This doesn't seem fair. 
No, God's been faithful to me. Therefore, I will be faithful to God. If God saves me, I'll trust him. If God doesn't save me, I'll still trust him. So we get to this point in the story and we actually find King Darius devastated. Why? King Darius liked Daniel. Everybody looked at Daniel with favor except for those two who were jealous of him because of their status. The king's mad because he's been tricked. Two of his top three right-hand men had deceived him. Darius feels very, very, very betrayed. So he tries to get out of it. Can't, though, because he's given his word. So he doesn't eat, doesn't receive entertainment. He's devastated. He goes to his palace and he just fasts and prays for Daniel who's to be put in the lion's den. Now, we don't actually know what happened down there. The only thing that we do know is what didn't happen in the lion's den. We don't know if Daniel Scott down there was like worshiping God. We don't know if he was afraid. We don't have any idea. All we know is that by the power of God, God shut the mouths of these lions. I believe, friend, With all my heart, this is a literal story that reflects the goodness and the power of God and Daniel's life. And in the morning, first thing Darius does, he gets up, he runs over there. He says, Daniel, 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 are you okay? He says, has your God, I love this phrase, read it in the story, Daniel 6. King Darius says, Has your God, whom you continually serve, right? He says, I've watched you, I've known you, and I know you've always served served him. Has your God, whom you continually served, rescued you from the pit of the lions? In verse 22, Daniel says, My God sent his angel. He shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him. Why? Because he had trusted his God, Scripture says, because he had trusted his God. When you do what's right, you can always trust God with the results. But remember in our story, there were two guys who didn't do what was right. The king called them in and said, I'm sorry, friends. Now you're going into the lion's den. Perhaps the angel was tired from working all night. He didn't protect those guys. King issued a decree that everyone in the king, I'm sorry, everyone in the kingdom 
should fear the God of Daniel. Because in Daniel's faithfulness to his God, God was faithful to him. And do not miss the power of this. Even if God chose not to close the mouths of the lions, Daniel still would have said, my God has always been faithful to me. So, if you're facing some sort of opposition, I know many people are. Remember, when God raises you up, people will try to tear you down. It's part of life. You've just got to deal with it. You're going to be a great leader. You're going to do anything meaningful in your life. That's part of it. With the greatest of respect, quit whining, suck it up. That's the way it goes. It's a part of life. Don't worry. Listen to me. If you're facing opposition for your obedience to God, that's a good thing. In fact, worry if you're not facing opposition because that probably means you're not doing a whole lot at all. Because when God raises you up, people will tear you down. Kneeling to pray gives you strength to stand. And friend, if you have not predetermined how you're going to grow in your intimacy with God, chances are pretty good you're not going to grow closer to God. It's an interesting thought, this idea of the importance of Daniel's predetermined decision. I'm convinced that one of the biggest difference makers in a life that's successful by whatever standard that it's measured versus one that's unsuccessful by whatever area of life that it's measured is often determined by how intentional life was lived in that area. We cannot, over the long haul, be successful in our lives, spiritually or earthly, if we just react and make decisions based on our present circumstance. It just doesn't work that way. We have to develop and form plans have to be intentional. We have to decide before the emergency happens, when the emergency happens, how will we respond? I think that's the difference, friend, between surviving spiritually or earthly. Anyway, it's something to think about. Hey, friend, until next week, I hope you're blessed and I'll see you then.